Hello, everyone out there in the college football podcasting listening universe, I guess is the best way to put it. Welcome to another thrilling, sensual yeah. postseason episode of the, co- of the preferred walk-on show, a college I, football show about college football. I would certainly describe any college football show about college football as sensual. That's the main yeah, thing. Thrilling and sensual. Yeah, exactly. Yep. That's um, it. Before we start today's episode, we do uh, want to announce, obviously, if you follow us on Facebook or Twitter, you have seen that we are offering up 50 smackaroos to Amazon if yeah. you can beat us in our ESPN Bowl Mania pool. Mm-hmm. The steps are simple. All you have to do is go to our Facebook page or go to our Twitter page. Retweet the post if you're on Twitter. Share it if you're on Facebook. If you're sharing it on Facebook, please make sure to include the original post. Otherwise, it just shares the link. I don't know why it does that. Um, Just use technology properly. Yeah, yeah. Make sure you like and or follow the page, depending on if you're on Facebook and Twitter. Mm -hmm. And then join the group. Uh, Make your picks. And if you've come in first at the end of bowl season, you will have a fresh $50 Amazon gift card delivered to your email address courtesy of the two slappies giving you college football information all season long. I can't wait for none of you to beat Meech. Like, no one's going to beat you. Don't like, gas me, bro. They're certainly going to beat Because now I'm definitely going to lose. Standings. They're certainly going to beat me. I just, that's my only chance at redemption uh, at the end of all of this. Bro, it would be it would be beautiful if you came back and just won. Like, and not I a just, single bowl game wrong. <laughs> And I just nailed every bowl game. These ridiculous bowl games of teams that we've, you know, we watch a lot of college football. There's some teams on here that I know nothing about. I Uh, mean, a perfect example is the first bowl game is Buffalo at Charlotte. I don't think I've watched a single down of either of those two teams play at all. Buffalo's going to win. We all know it. Buffalo's going to win. It's obvious. See, I I picked Charlotte. So that's. (laughs) Dude, I don't know. All right. All right. All right. Let's focus. So. Uh, basically what we're going to do this week, um, you know, obviously one thing we've done all year long is reviewed games from the week before. Obviously we're a little bit later this week. Normally we've released on Wednesdays or Thursdays. Um, so we're a little bit removed from the conference championships, but we still want to go back through those big six conference championship games. Um, there was a lot of good football played a lot of not so good football played. We'll review those real quickly for you guys. And then we'll, you know, our final top 25, um, as it compares to the college football playoff top four. Um, and we're not going to do a playoff preview for you guys quite yet. We will have multiple episodes as bowl season goes along. Um, we'll have an episode next week where we preview the first handful of bowl games. We'll do the same following, and then we'll have a, a playoff preview episode as well. Um, although if you guys have been listening to our podcast, you can probably guess who we're going to pick to win each of those games. But nonetheless, uh, we're still going to do that for you guys. But what this episode is mainly going to contain um, is our end of the season awards. So uh, you guys may or may not have watched the college football awards a couple nights ago. Our awards have nothing to do with those college football awards. We are not just redoing those awards and saying who would have won in our world. We have our own awards um, based off of a lot of the stuff that we've talked about on this podcast uh, throughout the year, really since the preseason. Um, including where we'll make fun of ourselves and say what we were most wrong about. Uh, so it's actually a pretty fun. I, I really like the awards we have. I feel like it actually gives you a pretty dang good uh, coverage of what happened in college football this season, to be honest. Like listening to these awards gives you a pretty good story arc of what went down. So we'll give you an award from each of us um, on all of these. And then again, we'll wrap it up there and you guys can, can listen to our bowl 
uh, prediction episodes in the in the coming weeks. So, yeah, and I also want to add, I'm going to post a uh, thing on Facebook where if you want to fill in your own end of season awards and tell us what you think, we are going to do that as well this week. So love that. Be on the lookout for that. Love that journey for these folks. Uh, so. <laughs> Uh, so why don't we go ahead and get into our conference championship reviews? Um, we'll start with the AAC. Uh, so that was Memphis beating Cincinnati 29 to 24. Um, this was a really good football game. Uh, it was really good. And, and, and where I'd like to start actually is I got to give Cincinnati a lot of credit. For how I was about to, I was literally league. about to say the same right? thing. I thought, and I still think Memphis is a far better football team than Cincinnati. Um, talent wise, scheme wise, um, although unfortunately, you know, and we'll get to it, but their coach is moving on. Um, and you know, th- that might affect them come the new year six, but since uh, Cincinnati was not as good of a team as Memphis all year long. And yet each of the final two weeks on the road at Memphis, they really hung in there and w- in this game, they were within a possession. Um, but Memphis, the better football team, won, luckily, uh, for everybody involved because I think pretty quickly we were able to realize, okay, this is the best team in the in group the of AAC, five. yeah. Right, and, and they deserved that New Year's Six nomination. Um, but what were your thoughts overall when watching this game, uh, sort of breaking things down and thinking about, you know, <laughs> what there is on both sides of the ball for these teams? Right, so first things first, Cincinnati is a completely different team when Desmond Ritter is playing. Totally different. Um, I mean, they kept it close the week before um, with their backup quarterback in the in the regular season finale, um, but it never it never really felt like they were going to win that game, anyways. With Desmond Ritter in there, it just completely changes the offense. He mm-hmm. paces them both through the air and on the ground in this one. Um, despite having a talented running back like Michael Warren back there who also chipped in 100 yards of his own. Um, and, you know, Luke Fickle is just a mastermind at defensive football coaching. He really coaching. is. He really is. Um, to slow down Memphis, like Memphis this year has been just scoring points in, in droves, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Cincinnati held them to 34 and 29 in back-to-back weeks after they hadn't been held below 30 since they lost to Temple. Right. Like almost eight. And weeks that ago. was 28. It's not right. like they were, you know, not hanging around 30. That was right. themselves. So um, just really, really good football, like you said, in, in this game. Uh, but it, it does come out to Memphis had a more ma- just more talent. Yeah. Uh, top to bottom on both sides of the ball, which is not to take anything away from Cincinnati's defense or offense. It's just Memphis is a little bit more talented. Um, they were playing at home, which is definitely a huge advantage. And, you know, uh, sometimes that's just how the dominoes fall. And yeah. I'm glad to see Memphis get the chance to play Penn State, even without Mike Norvell. And we can talk about that when we get to the bowl preview, obviously. Right. But, you know, all things considered, I think this was another great season for the American Athletic Conference. I totally agree. The AAC arguably this this version of the AAC and that that's why I'm happy for Memphis this version of the AAC was arguably the best group of five conference that's ever existed yeah um, and it, you could make the argument that like back in the day when the Mountain West had what was it Utah and TCU um, yeah and Boise at one, right, and, or, right and Boise that's what I'm saying like when those were still in the conference that that was you know really good football as well but I think the disparity there was a little larger um, still 
Uh, but all this shows is, you know, a couple years down the line, we're going to end up at a point. The AAC, <laughs> as talented and wonderful as the AAC is and is how much, how much I've enjoyed watching the AAC, it's a really poorly run conference um, in terms of, like, bowl matchups and, and, and treating themselves with the respect that we believe that the AAC deserves. Um, and so, you know, four or five years down the line, UCF, Memphis, Cincinnati, all these teams are probably going to be in power five conferences. And we're going to look back and go, wow, the AAC was really good. And I'm going to hate it uh, because, you know, we've known it um, and we've watched this really good football. And what I will say on the Cincinnati end, um, and we've been talking highly of Memphis all year, but I will say on the Cincinnati end is that I, you're right. When Desmond Ritter is in there, they're a different team. And, and think about it. Their losses were simply Ohio State, and two losses and Memphis, to Memphis. Who are right. both, in our minds, top 10 teams. Yes. And possibly the best team in the country, yeah. Right. So uh, that's a hell of a year if you're Cincinnati, who pretty much defensively especially dominated the rest of their schedule. You know, I, a lot of close games because their offense is, is not super dynamic. But to win every other game when you, you know, are losing to two at least top 15 teams in the country... Uh, depending on what the argument is, it's asinine that Memphis is 17 in the college football playoff poll. Um, but it's a really good year for both schools, and and it's exciting for the American Athletic Conference. So we can move over to uh, the Pac-12 now, um, and that was Oregon just curb-stomping Utah, which yeah. I think it was wholly upsetting to both of us. Well, um, you know, the most upsetting thing about this to me is that Oregon should be the fourth be- for- should be the fourth team in the playoff if they hadn't yeah. choked against Arizona State yep. and given up the last second touchdown to uh, Auburn. Yep. Um, what they did on the ground against Utah was disgusting. Yeah. Um, I've not seen a team bully Utah like that since basically Kyle Whittingham took over. Mm-hmm. Um, C.J. Federal. 18 carries for 208 yards and three touchdowns. Um, there was clips of just Oregon offensive linemen destroying the Utah defensive line. I think I saw in Bill Conley's advanced box score uh, for this game mm-hmm. that C.J. Vedrill was averaging like four yards untouched, like four scrimmage before yards per carry before That's contact. crazy. Which is just absolutely insane. You never see Utah get punched in the mouth like that. And that's exactly – Curb stomp, it would like you said, was the yeah. perfect way to put it. Because it really was. they just they knocked him out early and just stepped on their throat. And mm. you know, it's disappointing uh, from an Oregon sense because this is, in my mind, the fourth best team in the country. Yeah. Uh, and it's disappointing in a Utah sense because all they had to do was win, and they would have been probably would have been in. Yeah. I. I. So because we were supposed to do these things quickly and we never do, I just have a couple of thoughts. Um. Oregon is the fourth best team and like earned that, uh, unfortunately. And, you know, it really disincentivizes uh, these out of conference games to start the year, because I still think that if Oregon only lost to Arizona state, that they they might be in over Oklahoma, um, which is disappointing, uh, especially because of the way they just showed out against Utah. Um, So that's upsetting. And I hate that that disincentivizes, those types of games from being played. Now, if they had just beat Arizona State, they would have been in two. But, but still, you know, you're going to lose conference games. Um, Utah, I'm just mad at, to be honest, because we've been kind of riding the Utah train all year. I've been doing it, honestly, by your recommendation in some ways as well. 
But we've talked about how great their defense is and all these things. And I was out here, you know, in group chats with friends defending Utah going into this weekend that they should be in if they win. And then they get smacked and I look like an idiot and I blame Kyle Whittingham. Uh, Yeah. I'm mad at him for it. I'm mad at Utah. So I will never, ever, ever root for Utah again. That's all I have to say about that. And, you know, it's disappointing year for Utah in the sense that this game obviously was an embarrassment on many levels, but Mm -hmm. I think even like if they had kept this game a little closer and they hadn't choked away a Friday night game against USC's third string quarterback, they would still yeah. probably be in over Oklahoma as well. Yeah, who knows, man? But it's it's certainly disappointing for them. Um, but they could rebound next year. They got plenty coming back. Um, and also, I just found out Jake Bentley is transferring you to Utah next year. Yeah, so that's keep that startling. Up. Yeah, that's startling. Yeah. I, yeah, I added a document by the way in our folder uh, that yeah. has a link to a transfer portal like so you can just like keep up with it some of the names in there are fascinating bro like i didn't realize that they were transferring i love the transfer portal yeah my favorite Uh, all right right, moving on to uh baylor and oklahoma uh oklahoma man uh so oklahoma gets into the playoff with this win what a disappointing night for the folks like you who are members of the charlie brewer hive uh that didn't even get to see him get his shot uh, I do want to mention it was malpractice that they tried to put him back in after he was obviously like very obviously like concussed very and they tried to throw concussed. him back in. And if not for the referee, something very bad probably would have happened. Yep. So yep. not a good look for Matt rule, but you know, oh. when, when does Baylor ever have a good look if we're going to be totally Fair point. Uh, um, the Baylor passing stats in this game are hysterical. They're so funny. Nine of 27 for 230 yards and two touchdowns with no interceptions. It's so gross. It's so gross. What a weird game this was. It was so Jacob sh- Zeno came in and completed two passes for 159 yards and a touchdown. Get out of here. I, I just, I, you know, it. what stinks about this game, to be honest, is... Is if Charlie Brewer plays the whole game, they win? Yeah. Yeah, right? 100%. Like, they only lost by a touchdown. In playing their second and third string quarterbacks. Right. I mean, who are both true freshmen, by the way. Right. Jacob Zeno was a true freshman who hadn't played in a single game because they wanted to save his red shirt. And luckily now with the four, four right, game rule, he'll fine. be fine. Yeah. The thing that was confusing to me, um, or not confusing to me, right? But I know, and the conversation will, will shift, and there's a chance not a good one, but that Oklahoma could upset LSU in the playoff. But the thing that's kind of disappointing to me is after this, that weekend, I went, I think Oklahoma's better than, I mean, sorry, I think Oregon's better than Oklahoma. Yep. Um, and Oklahoma really got shut down in this game. Like they kind of stumbled their way to 30 points only because it went to overtime. Um, they really struggled to move the ball against Baylor's defense. And now I, you can make the argument Baylor's defense is better than LSU's. Um, you can't make that argument in regards to Clemson or Ohio State. Um, and as good as Baylor's defense is, I was really surprised by the lack of ability to move the ball by Oklahoma. Um, and that scares me going into the playoff uh, for them. And, you know, you wonder, a team like that plays like that in a conference championship and their name is Baylor and they win, whether Baylor gets in there or not. Um, right. It ends up being sort of by default. They're the only team with, with one loss there. Um, but maybe there's a deeper conversation, at least, about whether or not they're getting in. 
Um, for that matter, maybe a Florida would have backed their way in, uh, which they're very good. Um, I, I, I kind of think Florida is better than Oklahoma. Uh, so, so right. It's weird. And so I would never in a million years have thought I'd be saying that at the end of the season. Um, but good on the other hand, good for Jalen hurts, good for Oklahoma. I root for that kid. Um, regardless of, of what I think his like pro future is or anything like that, it's awesome to root for him. And he's going to be the first quarterback to throw passes in four straight college football playoffs. And that's pretty awesome. Right. Um, I'm going to say that I think he's actually hurt Oklahoma this year a little bit. You know, his stats are better than Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield. So, yeah, I know, but it's just something it, about watching the offense. It doesn't feel or look the same, the same way. It's, it's not. not as scary. You know what I mean? When there was a half a season, he turns there. the ball over at like literally the most inopportune moments. He just can't, he can't threaten the field vertically. Like there's no, like, you know, with Baker and Kyler, it's like the, oh, a touchdown, yeah. any play, right? Like anything right. could happen. Like, you know, Jalen Hurts is steady, right? He's right. efficient. Mm-hmm. But sometimes that's to the detriment of the explosiveness of, of what has made what Oklahoma, been. Oklahoma. Yeah. I, I totally agree with you. Um, and so they have a month to get to game plan for that to become a part of their offense. Right. Um, but you know what the unfortunate times. thing for them is? What's that? Is that LSU's defense has been rounding into form. Finally. Uh, um, Finally. Yeah. So, yeah. So it, look, I don't think they stand much of a chance, but. If they do, it's going to be because they find a way to get at least a few explosive plays in there. Well, they're one of those teams, too, that when they, get, when they start running the ball, if they can establish the run and just burn the clock, they could win that game. But we'll, we'll talk about that when we get yeah, there. Yeah, of course. But All right. nonetheless, that's that game. Uh, we need to spend five seconds on Clemson, Virginia. They uh, made it. Virginia made it interesting in the first quarter, and then, yes. you know, Clemson did Clemson shit. Yep, that's it. That's all we need to know. Virginia. Uh, can I just say, Bryce, can I just Bryce Perkins is a dog, dude. I love that guy. I love Bryce Perkins. I love man. him. I really do. Um, quick shout outs. Trevor Lawrence. Like anybody saying that Trevor Lawrence shouldn't be the first pick in the NFL draft next year. I don't know. Like what, what are you even watching? Like, I feel like if Trevor Lawrence came out this year, there's an argument that he should get picked over Joe Burrow. That's me personally. He 1000% would be picked over Joe Burrow. Are there people that think that wouldn't be the case? I think there is people who think that wouldn't be the case. Duty's 20. Um, yeah, he is. <laughs> like, Which also, by the way, Joe Burrow's definitely winning the Heisman tonight, right? Let's just get that out of the way. Oh, yeah, no. Joe, yeah, Joe Burrow wins the Heisman. And Crazy, though. The, the, the stat that Joe Burrow's going to be 24 and win the Heisman and Lamar's probably going to win the MVP at 23, that's, that's, that's so mind-shattering. That's so that's crazy. That just speaks to how ridiculous Lamar Jackson is and also just how magical this Joe Burrow, like, last two seasons run has been. It's pretty cool. Like, I also – yeah, and we can – you know, we can – I mean, I guess, honestly, we could move to that right now. Yeah, uh, Clemson beat Virginia 62-17. to 17. Like, what, what else do you want us to say? All right. So, let's move to the Joe Burrow thing. LSU. Oh, my God. LOL at Georgia. Thank that God. That first drive. LSU. You knew it was over in the first drive. Yeah, thank God LSU did the right thing. We said it last episode. Just, like, please do the right thing. Like, that's how we ended the episode. Just do the right thing and win this game. And, and they did it in, in beautiful fashion. Um, and so to go to the Joe Burrow part of that, I'm so happy for that guy. Like, yeah, what a cool – there's not a lot of uh, – can I say he – because he wasn't a grad transfer. Um, uh, right? Yeah, he was. 
was he a grad transfer? Yeah. Okay, so so he graduated this, a year early, okay. so, so that, that he, he would have two years of eligibility okay, immediately so at this. LSU. Best grad trans like best grad transfer decision for a quarterback since Russell Wilson to Wisconsin, or even Kyler Murray to Oklahoma. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess. Oh no, he wasn't no, a grad Kyler, transfer. You're right. Yeah, you're right. He's just he a transfer. Right, yeah. no, no, because there's other great transfer moves. Look, Justin Fields to Ohio State is a great transfer move, right? But yep. as a grad transfer, I can't think of a more successful version of that. I mean, and this is even more successful than the Russell Wilson thing was. But, like, everyone there identified – like, Russell Wilson played a few years at NC State, and everyone identifies him with Wisconsin. Um, right. Because of what he did at Wisconsin that ultimately got him drafted. Um, Joe Burrow, what a crazy ascension this has been. And what's crazy is Joe Burrow transferred to LSU uh, without having any starts at Ohio State or right. any really meaningful playing time. And so when it first happened, the, you know, the first instinct is, oh, this is just going to be one of those LSU transfer quarterbacks that, that you know, he's going to be average and it's yeah. going to, you know, the defense is going to carry them to nine wins and the offense will never be explosive enough to win anything worth a shit, right? And it's, it's the opposite. And, well, so that was the thing. It started off just like that right. last year. I don't, and the last four games of the season, when they started to open up the offense a little more, Joe Burrow started to become more confident. And yep. I think you can mark it from about the four-game left mark last season onwards. Mm -hmm. He's been the best quarterback in college football. I like to mark it at when Joey Connors blew him up on that interception <laughs> during the UCF game. Because, honestly, he was just – he was like whatever for the first quarter and a half of that game. He mm -hmm. threw a pick. Joey Connors just absolutely leveled him. Nate Evans taunted him. And yeah, that was the out, worst part. And then from then on out, he was like 23 of 27 for 240 and four touchdowns or whatever and he that's, was. And that's kind of when we saw – unstoppable since. That's uh, – Shout out to Joe Brady. LSU hiring Joe Brady oh, yeah. obviously has made a huge difference. Absolutely. Um, but an offensive coordinator doesn't make a guy come out and throw. I think he's no. at almost 80% completion percentage. It's outrageous. Season. It's outrageous. And I will say. Yeah, he's at he, 78 point. <laughs> holy shit. He's at 70. <laughs> hold on. Where's. Where's this at? Oh, yeah, he's at 77.9% completion on this. It's outrageous. I will say, I, I, you know, if I was going to criticize the little bit of criticism that I gave early in the year in terms of, like, NFL comps for or NFL chops for Tua, where I was like, oh, he's always throwing from a clean pocket to ridiculous receivers, I can do the same thing with Burrow a little bit. Um, it, he, there's been some throws where everyone's like, wow, and it's like, yeah, because no one's even close to him. And he has and Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson. Yeah. yeah. But that being said, completing nearly 80% of your passes, having the type of season that he did, um, he's a damn near perfect quarterback. That play, that play in this SEC championship game where he did basically two spins in the backfield yeah. and then juke the no, other guy he... out, and then somehow still found Jamar Chase coming across the field and got him perfect spot where he could get both feet down. It's funny. I, that was the moment for me where I went, all right, yeah. Like, <laughs> like, like in terms of the number one overall pick thing. Because oh, yeah. I've been very, you know, not concerned about that, but I, I'm a little concerned about this weird last-second older player ascension uh, at the quarterback position 
in regards to being taken number one overall to a team as piss poor as the Cincinnati Bengals. But when I saw that play, I was like, yeah, you know what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can see it. Like, yeah, he's great. Um, it's last... so cool. And I like, the, I, I like the new Joey Burrow thing that people yeah. are doing. I, I love that. I don't know why I do, but when it, calling him Joey Burrow and thinking of the EAUXX or whatever, it's dope. It's really dope. Um, last thing on this game, and then we can move on. LSU's yeah. defense, like I said, turn it around. Georgia only scored 10 points. That could be a, a, an outcome of Georgia's offense being putrid, which it is. And Georgia's I, approaching Wisconsin territory for me. They are. They really are. They're, yeah. they're, they're the Wisconsin of the SEC, if we're being yeah, 100% really, honest. Yeah, it's really disappointing. Um, except Wisconsin actually put up a fight in their conference championship game. Which Yikes! DeAndre Swift got two fucking carries in this game. It's insanity. How does that Two happen? carries does for your best happen? player. I don't know how that happens. Uh, Kirby's smart, man. They, they might need to start talking about his job security. I'm sorry. Like, look, he needs to make a coach O move this, this, this summer and go get an offensive coordinator. He's, uh, he won one game that mattered. Uh, it was, a, it was the an Rose SEC Bowl. championship game. No, no, no. And saying that he, oh. won, he won an SEC championship game. And so it got him to the playoff. And so then they beat down. Oh, not, not be down, but they beat Oklahoma because Oklahoma couldn't play defense and they got to right. a championship game and one safety makes a play and we're having a different conversation about Kirby Smart, but right. he's essentially Mark Rick. That's one, one more. 1,000, 1,000%. Like it's not different. He's just... Georgia fans can talk about anything they want. Georgia Tech has a more recent national championship than Georgia. Yes. So I don't want to hear that they're, they're like the big brother in the state of Georgia. I don't want to hear any of that shit. All of their 10-win <laughs> seasons, all of their 10-win seasons are it. empty. Right. They don't mean anything. Right. You don't have anything to show for it. You're Georgia. You're in the heart of one of the most fertile recruiting states in the country. You right. have the top-notch facilities. You've been shitting out NFL players for a decade plus, and you have zero national championships to show for it. Well, and not, and not only that, think about the fact that Trevor Lawrence, right? Because Trevor Lawrence and Trevor Lawrence, they had Justin Fields in the building for a whole year. And they let him go for Jake Fromm. And you know who, what? I don't want to blame Jake Fromm. I don't want to blame Jake Fromm. No, it's not his fault. Because this is not his fault that no. the offense is so horribly run. Right. Well, and so DeAndre Swift say, cannot have two the, carries. The last, he thing, can't. the last thing that I'll say in regards to that, though, that does make you feel better. And you wonder if Jake Fromm will come back uh, for another season. He I, should. I really do. Is that, that being said, if he, he does transfer. come back, no, but see, well, I guess he should go to LSU. That would be hilarious. But well, what I was going, what oh my god, what I was going to say to that is that if you do look across the board, Jake Fromm's stats this season are essentially Joe Burrow's from last season, right? And then LSU made the decision. To open to up the offense, bring in an actual right? offensive coordinator. So if Kirby Weird. Smart, if Kirby Smart makes that move, we could be talking about Jake Fromm next year the same exact way we're talking about Joe Burrow. Because I'm not confident. I I'm not confident. Blame, sorry, I'm not confident. Blame, <laughs> uh, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Go I ahead, just I, what I was gonna say is I don't blame Jake Fromm. No, I, have I don't either. Time. It's it's the offense. It's a horrific, putrid, uh, safe. Uh, frustrating offense, and so I don't blame him. Uh, now you can go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm not convinced they wouldn't have ruined Justin Fields. Yeah, they were playing him basically as a running back. It's it's insane. 
He's got 40 touchdowns and one interception on the season, and they were playing him as a running back, essentially, well, so and a personal ta- punt protector. Let's talk Kirby about Kirby Smart doesn't know what the huh? fuck he's doing on the offensive side of the ball. Let's talk about All Justin right. Fields. Let's do it. Let's do it. 34-21, Ohio State beats Wisconsin. Uh, was good for Wisconsin. Yeah, for sure. Uh, because obviously this game doesn't end with like a super close score that if you didn't watch, you go good for Wisconsin. They were up 21 to 7. Um, sorry, my mic just kind of crapped out there for a second. They were up 21 to 7. Um, they were dominating this game early. Jonathan Taylor was playing tremendous football. Jack Cohn looked good. The defense was swarming. Um, yeah. And even then, there was not a moment of this game where I went, I don't know, Ohio State's going to win. <laughs> don't worry about it. Yeah, no, I mean, you and me were the only ones that, like, people were freaking out in the group chat that we're in. Yeah. And we're like, you guys must not have watched Ohio State all season. Yeah. Like, like this team is too amazing. talented. Yeah, and so uh, ultimately they did come back and win this game uh, because they're the better team. Uh, it's pretty much as simple as that. When you, have, when you have such an overwhelming talent advantage – this is what happens. You can right. fall behind as long as everybody stays calm. Right. The talent will eventually win out, and that's exactly what happened. Right. And that's Not what to I take say. anything away from the Wisconsin kids, but, I mean, just top to bottom, Ohio State might be the best team in the country, period, flat like, out. Like ever. Like one of the yeah, most this, this, this might be one of the most, like legitimately one of the most stacked teams, top to bottom, we've ever seen. Well, think about it. If they win a national championship, that means they went undefeated, winning every game by two scores or more, right? Every, every right. game by two scores there in the regular season. Then we'll have beat the defending national champions and then the Heisman Trophy winner. Yeah. yeah. Or, the, or theoretically the Heisman Trophy runner-up if Hurts somehow, if they end up beating LSU, right? That could end up being one of the greatest seasons of all time. I mean, this team is they've got, incredible. They've got five guys who are legitimately like first round picks on both oh. sides of the ball. Right. And like, like, like it's, I said this on Twitter and I thought it was funny. So I'm going to say it again here. <laughs> this Ohio State team is the most complete, most dominant college football team I've seen since last year's Clemson team. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> like, they're just, that is funny. you know. It's they accurate. have everything. They have everything you need. And you know what? Clemson might have everything too. And that's why that, that's going to be a, that's going to be a game of the year, like game of the game century of the, type yeah, game. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, I can't think of anything much better. It's really since I, could I say maybe in terms of like knowing how much talent is on that field and knowing what it feels like, it, does it not remind you a little bit of that uh, Texas USC Rose Bowl? Like right. Vince Young in Texas. And, yeah, and it was just that very was obviously the two players. best teams in the country. Yeah. Right. And to me, and, and as great as LSU is, I mean, LSU might be the best. We're team really going to get to see Lawrence versus Fields for a chance so to play awesome. in the national championship, which is exactly what people were saying was going to happen when they were We've both been, in high school. Well, yeah, and let me give you some credit as someone that, that really follows all of this stuff. I remember when they were in high school, Lawrence and Fields were both in Georgia. And I think Emory Jones was the other quarterback in Georgia at the time. Yeah, that was I, re- good. I remember you texting me like like huddle videos of both of them <laughs> and being like, yo, these are the two best high school quarterbacks I've ever seen. And I was like, they were, bro, and they were. Yeah, like, that's but, I was the like, thing. but I was sitting here and I was like, why are you sending me videos of high school quarterbacks? <laughs> Do something more productive with your time. And yet you were right. 
because and here we are now. Here we are, <laughs> and these two dudes are squaring off against each other. Unfortunately, it's not the Georgia Clemson matchup that we all sort of anticipated early on in all of this. It's it's the Ohio State Clemson. I would argue this is better. This is better. Well, because Fields ends up with a team that's even better than than Georgia was, which is crazy. Um, especially considering the way that Georgia's recruited. Like for for us to be like, oh, thank God he ended up at Ohio State because it's not close. It's like the the recruiting at the top of of college football is outlandish. Um, Yeah, it's literally Clemson, Ohio State, Georgia, and Alabama, and then everybody else. Yeah, and in regards to to Ohio State and Wisconsin, just going back to the game real quick, I will say as someone that has been a notorious Wisconsin hater, I have to give them credit. They really battled their asses off in this game. Um, they really legitimately did stand a chance to win. Is Jack Cohen a senior? I don't think so. I think he's only a sophomore. Let me check. Um, um, but they did bring in a five-star quarterback last year. Now, he'll be a senior next year. Okay, so he won't leave, so he'll be you – know, Yeah, and then they got another coming. year to develop Graham Mertz, who was their five-star right. that came in. Right. I mean, he might take over, you know, job. without Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, you don't know. Right, and so I hope Quintez Cephas returns to Wisconsin. By the way, the wide receiver. Yeah, he's a junior. There's a lot of good wide receivers this year coming out, yeah, and he's the most guy. explosive Wisconsin wide receiver I think I can remember. So yeah, well, it would be a nice piece to have. So that's all the conference championship games. Um, and so what that led us to is the poll, uh, which ultimately is. Did you, you know, want to go over uh, hirings, firings, real quick? Oh yeah, sure. I apologize. Let's. All right, so we, we can just breeze through these. They're not like super important or huge Ole Miss Lane Kiffin that's a slam dunk yeah I agree totally I, agree. I, I love it I love the fit even if it doesn't work out I, I love it just because it's going to be hysterical if it doesn't work right well I love the the riskiness to it uh, but I also mm-hmm. don't feel like it's that risky like Ole I Miss mean they've already not- had they've already had a you know a lecture <laughs> a really good there was a really really good uh tweet that I, I'm going to try to remember off the top of my head that basically described what happened, but with Hugh freeze, no, with, 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 uh, with Ole Miss in their coaching and the, in the coaching tree and how close knit it is, which oh, is, yeah. is Ed Orgeron, Ed Orgeron was the head coach at Ole Miss. Hugh freeze was his assistant. Um, and then Ed Orgeron got fired he went, and went to, to work with USC work with, with Lane USC, Kiffin. where he was an assistant to Lane Kiffin. Okay. Mm-hmm. Hugh Freeze got promoted to head coach, and Matt Luke became his assistant coach. Mm-hmm. Okay. When Hugh Freeze got fired, Matt Luke became a head coach. Lane Kiffin was fired at USC, ended up at FAU. And then when Matt Luke was fired, now Lane Kiffin took over as the Ole Miss head coach. Wild stuff. It's just insane the way the coaching tree does work and kind of just recycles itself. Um, and now your LSU and, and Ole Miss head coaches are Ed Orgeron and Lane Given. And Hugh Freeze. Who are actually there. apparently best friends. Like, apparently they love the shit out of each other. Which I think is awesome. Like, they're, yeah. honestly, honestly. I'd love a buddy cop movie about the two of them. If you tell me that I could sit in that HBO show with Belichick and Saban, who are like maybe the two greatest coaches of all time, or I could just go get a beer with Lane Kiffin and Ed Orgeron, not even a question. Ed yeah. Orgeron and Lane Kiffin, 1,000%. It's the funniest <laughs> combination that's ever existed. Um, um, but, yeah, I totally agree with you. That's, that's a slam dunk of a hire. They also hired uh, Jeff Levy, UCF's offensive coordinator, um, which let me just say real quick. Maybe he'll actually call, like, real plays. Like, that would be good. I don't even want to talk about that. But what I will say 
is that it is funny with, when it comes to the whole like power five group of five thing. Cause the sec is constantly like crapping on the group of five. And yet your head coach is, a, is, was the FAU coach. Your offensive coordinator was the UCF offensive coordinator. And the first thing that happens is a UCF three-star wide receiver commit decommits and then not commits to Ole Miss, but gets his offer from Ole Miss in the same day. And you guys are all going to like freak out about, Oh my God, we're getting all this talent. It's like, yeah, it's just the same talent that would have been going to the group of five. Like you would have been a UCF receiver. Like, it's you know what's so, nuts, it's, too? It's all the same thing, and it's such a dumb distinction. Yeah, uh, I was I completely lost the point I was going to bring up. Mike Norvell to Florida <laughs> State, though, that feels, that feels like another slam dunk to me. I, I love Norvell. I love what he can do on offense. Yeah. He has really good ties to the Midwest, so I think he's going to be able to bring in offensive linemen, which his program desperately needs. So desperate. And, and you, Willie, trip over, you trip over skill position players in the state of Florida. I mean, it's easy. Right, and look what he's done. Look what he's done with skill position players. Like, oh it doesn't matter. Like, he is good. He is just about as good as anyone in the country at finding out what his skill players' talents are and getting them the ball in ways to utilize that talent. 1,000% agree with you. I think he's a really solid fit after Willie Taggart. Um, I like I that he's think- holding on to Odell Haggins, too, by the way. I really yes. like that. I, FSU fans would have rioted if he didn't. Um, but I, I think that... Uh, I still think Willie Taggart got kind of a raw deal, to be honest yep. with you. Um, I really, and I'll always think that, regardless of Norvell's success. Um, I'll the always- good news for Norvell is that Jimbo stopped basically trying for a year and a half yep. before he took the Texas A&M job. And for as many games as Willie lost, he certainly did a lot, in my mind, to rebuild the sort of culture of that program. Yeah, so. and, and recruiting. Like, they have good young players now, which they didn't really have when Willie took over. Um, it's not that Jimbo was a bad coach or a bad recruiter. It's just toward the end there, he wasn't, you know. He was looking for a bigger paycheck. Yeah, and it just wasn't happening. And so um, I am excited for Mike Norvell. Uh, for what that's worth, Willie Taggart actually ends up at FAU. Mm-hmm. Um, and Memphis just promoted their offensive uh, line coach to head coach. Yeah, so, so that all. That I expect all Memphis out. to still be good. To be, I also, I also want to say, I don't know if if that is on this list. The FAU Willie Taggart. I actually think that's a phenomenal fit. I do too. I like it a lot. Um, yeah, he's I, had a a history of turning around group of five teams since he started being a head coach, yeah. and now he doesn't have to turn anything around. The team is already good. Right, uh, and he's in Florida. Yeah. I, I kind of think I kind of think he really will be there long term. I really do. I mean, I, unless I USF know. tries to hire him again, but <laughs> I, I don't know, man. I, I really USF got a good coach too, by the way, which we can bring up right oh. now because I don't believe they're on this list either. Yeah, Mike. USF God. hiring Jeff Scott is exactly what UCF should have done two years ago. So that's cool. I'm devastated. How long until USF beats UCF now? How next long year? Until they beat them? No, not next year. But it's possible. Actually, the only reason I'm, I'm, I'm saying it might take three years is just because, like, as Dylan Gabriel gets better, like, I have a hard time thinking junior Dylan Gabriel is going to lose to USF. Even yeah, especially with the state of that program currently. Right. It's, it's in freaking shambles right now. Yeah, but we've seen quick turnarounds in the, in the AAC, right? Yes. Frost had us from 0-12 hey. to 6-6 and to 12-0. and 0, And so. I would make the argument that the talent – not the talent base, but yeah, I mean, I will say talent base. The talent that's left over for Scott to work with is better than what Frost inherited. He only inherited, like, of players that were going to be really productive, he inherited the Griffins, 
and he yeah. inherited Traquan Smith, who are all NFL players. Let's not like get it twisted. And yeah, and yeah. I guess Aikens. Yeah. Right. But from there, mm-hmm. everything else, offensive line, running backs, quarterback, the rest of your receivers, like that whole offense was a bunch of freshmen when he started. Yeah, there. but by all accounts, Jeff Scott is that same level of recruiter and developer yeah. of talent. So I, so. I think I think Jeff Scott was a home run hire. Uh, his yeah, only issue is he needs another haircut. Because right now he's got that weird, like Kirby Smart SEC weirdo haircut. Yeah, yeah. He the, needs the, to like buzz it close to that. Like he needs like a scalp, or he needs to like grow it out a little bit more so that he can slick it back a little bit. Because right now it's just it looks like like a thirty year old frat boy, and I just like I can't handle that. So <laughs> I need him to get a haircut. Like just just right. go go grab Jonathan Van Ness from Queer Eye and just like have him like zhuzh you up a little bit, and we're, we're good to go. All right, we don't have to spend a lot of time on the rest of these. Chris Peterson stepping down at Washington was weird. I think we talked about that a little bit already. So weird. Also, the coolest thing in the world that Washington and Boise are going to play in a bowl game. Yeah, I love it. That that he gets to do the coin. I think Boise is going to win too, by the way. Yeah, but that's special, man. Like, what a cool thing that he's going to be a part of that as his final game. Like, it's awesome. Boston College fired Steve Adazio, and then I believe Colorado State hired him pretty much immediately after. Correct. So that's interesting. Uh, Rutgers fired. Fired, by the way. He did or did not? He did. No, he did. 100%. They were horrible. Uh, Rutgers fires Chris Ash, and then uh, re brings back in Greg Schiano. Good luck living with that. LOL. Uh, I don't know what else to say. Uh, this was a really good hire, but you know Missouri. I don't know. Missouri fired Barry Odom. That was understandable. Weird. And then, well, it was a discipline. Missouri really thought they were going to be good this year. Um, Still weird. Yeah. I, 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 I don't the, know. I, they weren't that bad. They started really. Yeah, but the, the NCAA investigations coming into the year definitely didn't help his case. Yeah, uh, and then, yeah, I guess. Yeah, uh, Drinkwitz, I think, is a home run hire for them. I like yeah, it a lot. That's Eli Drinkwitz. Yeah. Uh, I will say, um, look. I'm they should have not- hired Heupel. Uh, he was sitting right there. Come on, Missouri. Right God, you, you had he's from job. like he's he's from the Midwestish area. Yeah, and like, he was an offensive coordinator there. God, I so uh, Eli Drinkwitz. Um, first of all, my favorite head coach name. Uh, period. Yeah, my dad's totally. first name, and then it's Drinkwitz. Um, that's <laughs> incredible. Uh, but it's just a Jewish alcoholic. Uh, but uh, I will say slightly disappointed that app state's going to be on their third coach in three years. Like that's such an awesome program. and such an awesome place to coach. Yeah. Um, that, and really to live Boone, North Carolina, my God, it's gorgeous. Right. Um, and so really kind of just upsetting for those kids that they're going to, that's be a group of five years. program that I feel like will always be fine though. Like they'll always oh, be bowl eligible. Like, yeah, no, it's not to say that, but coming off such a great year where you were nearly yeah. the group of five representative in the, in the, the new year's six, like it sucks three years in a row. You're going to have a different coach. That's really disappointing. Some um, key, uh, some key retentions here. Vanderbilt is keeping uh, Mason around, which I think is a good idea. I don't know what else you expect from your head coach at Vanderbilt. Right. Uh, Penn state, uh, gave James Franklin, who continues to use head coaching oh, well. openings, as a new way to get more money and uh, and yep. long term security, which I I, I, I like a lot. Get that. Bag. And uh, unfortunately for the both of us, Jeremy Clay Helton will be returning to USC. God. At least that means Graham Harrell at USC for at least another year. Although I, I did, there was a rumor that Texas was going to throw him just like a crazy bag to be their offensive coordinator. 
I'd uh, like to see that to try too, to, to be honest. Yeah, to try to get him to leave. Could you imagine him with Shane Bouchelle? Oh my god. Oh. Oh, uh, but that would be Grant. But but you said no, no, Texas. No, I'm saying right. Yeah. No, sorry, not Shane Bouchelle. Uh, Sam Ellinger. I totally Sam Ellinger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I meant. My bad. Um, Sam Ellinger with 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 Graham Harrell would just be outlandish. And then uh, finally, oh, Boston College did hire a new coach. They hired off Ohio State's defense co-defensive coordinator. Whatever. Right. Uh, Arkansas fired Chad Morris and then hired Georgia's offensive line coach. Uh, good luck with that. Uh, I, I don't care how good of a recruiter he yeah. is at Georgia. I don't care how good of a recruiter he yeah. is at Georgia. He's at fucking Georgia. Um, <laughs> now he's in fucking Arkansas. So, you yeah, know, whatever. Good luck. Yeah, I mean, Arkansas is never going to be a great program. Like, that's why I like – honestly, that's why I like so much what Ole Miss did with Lane Kiffin. Like, I and the rumor – At was, least it's something interesting. Right. The rumor was that, was that Arkansas was going after Lane Kiffin, and so maybe he did snub them. And then they went, all right, maybe we should go a little bit of a safer route. Um, and we can go yeah, with safe that- to get you to three wins every season. Congratulations. That's the problem, man, is like, how do you know? I, I will say this though, was a program that under Bobby Petrino was winning eight, nine games a year and was actually exciting to watch. Here's something I want to say, though. There are only some guys. Lane Kiffin is one of them. Um, Graham Harrell, I hope, will be one of them. Uh, there are. You know, there are other guys throughout. They should have never fired Brett Bielema, to be but, honest. But, but let me just – so there are some guys that are great coordinators that I think should be head coaches. Um, but something that I've come to realize that I really like in my head coach, actually, is just being a great leader and head coach. Like, Scott Frost was was perfect, and he was a play caller, and he was everything. But, like, I actually look at, like, the Miami Dolphins, and I know that that's in the NFL. But Brian Flores, like mm-hmm. that dude knows Brian a Flores bit is about, awesome. He yeah. do, he knows a little bit about everything, and he's just a tremendous leader that works as the CEO. You know what I'm? Th- you know who? What the perfect example of that in college football is? Please tell me. Dabo Sweeney. No, but yes, exactly, exactly. It's, I mean, that's exactly it, what it exactly is. Exactly what I'm saying. And so, and Ogeron is getting there as well, right? Exactly. And so, so while you're not happy with that Arkansas hire, maybe. This man is a great leader and a great recruiter, and will put will hire the right coordinators right. to set that team. A la Herm yeah. Edwards, yeah, and be a great sort of CEO of Arkansas. So I will say, as much as I love to see like the flashy young coordinators get hired to be head coaches and call plays, I'll also say I can appreciate that brand of hiring a head coach. And so I wonder if it will be a success just based off of sort of that Orgeron Swinney role, you know. Um, but who knows? And so th- those are those programs. And now, um, getting to our poll real quick, and then we can get into all of our awards. Um, uh, as we do this, as you guys know, the college football playoff, it's Oklahoma, Clemson, LSU, uh, or sorry, you have it wrong in our, in the college football playoff. It's Oklahoma plays LSU, LSU is one, Ohio state plays Clemson, Ohio state two and Clemson is three in our poll. We would have had it a little different, um, but we'll get there in a minute. So uh, going 25 through 21, at 25, we have UCF. Uh, Could have had FAU in there, but remember, UCF beat FAU by five touchdowns. Uh, then Kansas State at 24, Michigan at 23, Cincinnati 22, USC at 21. Any thoughts there? Uh, just re- I really like USC this year. Like, if they can figure out some stuff, I think that this is going to be a really good team next year in the, in the Pac-12. I think that, it's really, that's really it. I think it's really cool that they kept Clay Helton because I think that they, they see that vision too. 
and I'm glad that they did because that's yeah. weirdly almost overachieved. They played really hard for him too, which I think is something that you got to give him credit for. Uh, and I just have to say, fucking three games by seven points. Uh, 20 through 16, Iowa at 20, App State at 19, Minnesota at 18, Navy at 17, Notre Dame at 16. Yeah, I mean, those all just feel right. Navy's got the game against Army today. Uh, they'll probably win that one, get to 10 wins, uh, and then have a chance for 11 in a bowl game. So It's wild. Crazy stuff. Good for Navy. Man, Minnesota, great season, by the way. Great season. Yeah. It's so I know it probably feels disappointing. I know it probably feels disappointing, but that's a – I mean, who would have seen that coming at the beginning of the year? No one. Literally yeah, exactly. no one. Uh, we talked about that division. I think we, we said about, eight. I think we said eight games. They ended up winning nine, which isn't like a huge jump, yeah, but like the but way they got to it, nine was exactly. incredible. Yeah, we were saying like we thought that they could have a much better season, but man, uh, that's awesome. Um, fifteen through eleven, Wisconsin at fifteen, Penn State at fourteen, Boise State at thirteen, Baylor at twelve, Auburn at eleven. Yeah, I really like Auburn. I, I really like Auburn heading into next year too. Oh, um. So, you know, that should be interesting. They're going to lose quite a bit on that defensive side of the ball. They but. are, especially Derek Brown, which is going oh, to hurt. He's an animal. Uh, I hope he comes to the Jags, by the way. Um, following that up real quick, Joey Gatewood, their backup quarterback to Bo Nix, is transferring to Kentucky. So that's something interesting to keep an eye out on. That's Kentucky cool. might actually have a quarterback next year. Yeah, and he also – I feel like there was, like, a little animosity on the way out. Uh, yeah, th- I mean, I don't blame him. He kind of got cucked. Well, let's do, let's do 10 through 6. Yeah, exactly. Go ahead. So Alabama at 10, Utah at 9, Georgia at 8, Memphis at 7. Folks, fight us. Fight us. Do it. Cowards. (laughs) And Florida at 6. Thoughts there? Uh, Florida arguably is number 5. But, you know, whatever. Memphis should be a top 10 team. I, I still don't know. I don't know where they're ranked exactly in the. They're 17. Yeah, that's bullshit. So <laughs> that's about ten spots too low. I, yeah. I, Penn State is ranked higher than than Memphis, aren't they? Uh, Penn State is ranked yeah. significantly higher than Memphis. Yeah, that, I think I think in the in the it's college football playoff poll they're ten and seventeen. Right, yeah. we have them at seven and fourteen, but flipped. So yeah, yeah, the same gap, just the opposite way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um. All right. And so Memphis we'll do, better win that fucking bowl game, dude. I'm gonna be pissed. Yeah, but Mike Norvell, Mike Norvell isn't coaching in it, and that's yeah. I mean, speaking of which, speaking of which, I don't know if you saw John Shipley's tweet about this, but some guy was talking about how he'll never respect Mike Norvell now, uh, because he's not coaching his bowl game. And he's crazy. like Scott Frost was a stand-up guy and coached UCF, and uh, Shipley quote tweeted it and just screenshotted the thing about Maurice Washington. <laughs> Oof. and posted it. He goes, yeah, uh, what a great guy. Oh, uh, but come on. I look, I mean, he's right. He's not wrong. All right, but hold on. You could be a stand-up guy in certain scenarios and not yeah. in others. Although it's just, for, that, that was more of his point, I think. That, yeah, no, totally. And it, it, it all flips on its head. What I'll also say about Norvell is from, from I, I read a couple of things that made it sound like, like FSU said you can't coach. Like, right, and like that you know, it wasn't when, throw- choice. when they're throwing you the money, they're throowing him. Yeah, I mean, whatever. Like, yeah, you can't. Sorry, it is what it is. Like, sorry. You're gonna guys. say no to Florida State. Right. I, I will say the more and more that this goes along, the further we get removed from that uh, Peach Bowl, where UCF beat Auburn, the more insane it is. Yeah, the whole staff stayed on. 
Right. The- Which you could argue might have might be what has hurt Nebraska getting out the gates because they weren't recruiting as hard as they could for Nebraska. They well, weren't in there with the players making sure that they were developing the way they wanted them to develop from the jump. Right. I know that, that now it's been two years and like those excuses are whatever. Yeah. But it, it you do have to think it might have made some sort of a difference right at the beginning. I will say it, it would have been like a week of practice that they missed like that's all it was it wasn't a bowl eligible but instilling team. that culture as early as you can it goes a long way before the offseason starts i don't yeah, know yeah i mean I, theoretically i imagine there was at least like I, we don't know all the details i imagine there was like a team meeting maybe yeah. or it's like hey we're your coaches now see you in a month you know because they, they weren't allowed to be with those kids because as a non-bowl eligible team you don't get to do anything over winter break but nonetheless uh, I will say, but the further we get removed from it, when you think about it, and some of the legend that exists there, which is like Shaquem Griffin doing what he did in that game and just being who he is, Mackenzie Milton, and now where his career and life has gone, doing what he did in that game, and Scott Frost and the entire staff flying back and forth on recruiting trips for another school, wearing the Nebraska red to the conference championship game, sticking on for that game. And they beat Auburn with, you know, a stud NFL running back and carry on Johnson and NFL players all over the defensive side of the ball. Like it gets crazier and crazier. The further we get removed from it as just like a legendary moment, um, had to get my UCF talk in. So now our top five, we actually have Oklahoma as number five. Fight us. Fifth best team in the country, meaning Oregon is at four, Clemson at three, LSU at two, Ohio State at one. We have been consistent on the Ohio State LSU thing. We understand that LSU's resume earns them number one. Neither of us are mad. At least I'm not mad that LSU is number one. I'm not totally mad either, but it. I would argue that, that Ohio State's resume is just as good as LSU's. I don't think it's just as good. But the way that they've dominated their schedule in a way yeah. is is remarkable to me. Look, a four touchdown win over what the college football playoff decided was the number four team in the country. We knew wasn't in Georgia, but it means something. And it was dominant. And Ohio State got down. And it mattered. And so you know, uh, we talked about it that if those were both close victories, it was going to allow Ohio State to stay number one. It didn't. LSU absolutely dominated Georgia, and Ohio State had to come back to beat Wisconsin. Um, And so that flipped those two teams. And it sets up LSU versus Oklahoma, which we think should have been Ohio State versus Oregon. And then it's Clemson and Ohio State, which we think should have been LSU and Clemson. Um, But, you know, is what it is. I'm not mad about getting – I want to be clear. I'm I'm not mad about getting to watch Ohio State play Clemson in the Oh, no, that's going to be a remarkable game. I'm mad that that regardless of whoever would have finished one, you could have told me Ohio State, LSU, or Clemson finished one and Oklahoma was four. That's going to be a bloodbath regardless of the team. Yep, absolutely. At least I I have confidence Oregon could keep the game interesting at at least into the third quarter. Right. And their offense has been coming around. Yeah. Um. There's an argument that Florida is better than Oklahoma as well. And there's also an argument that Florida is better than Oregon. Right, right. And that, that's what I'm saying is that in all honesty, if they had stuck Oregon or Florida into the college football playoff at four, I wouldn't have been mad. Well, I think the biggest thing is, and we've been talking about this forever, man. There's such a hypocrisy on four best teams. Yeah. Um. And then the rankings from there have nothing to do with who's the best. Because if it did have to do with who's the best, Memphis wouldn't be sitting at 17. Um, right. You know, yeah, exactly. And, and, 
And and it's like four best teams. Oh, okay. So the three undefeated teams and the one team with one loss. Like, did you actually, like, a computer could have told, like, a, a monkey could have picked that. You know what I mean? Like, the what's BCS the point? would have picked that. The right. BCS, what's like, what's yeah. the point in having a committee if they're just going to pick the undefeated team? The problem, the, the problem with the committee, like, the whole idea was like, oh, these computers aren't watching the games. They're just crunching numbers. Right. And but that's the problem happened. is the the. That's the thing. The problem with the humans is that they're too inconsistent week to week on what they're actually judging the teams on. Right. And they're it, picking it, random numbers to decide what those right. are going to represent. They can justify anything with any number they want. Oh, game right. control. What the fuck is game control? <laughs> you know what I mean? No, that's exactly it. It's really crazy and it's really disappointing. Um, and, you know, with one loss Oklahoma, like you wonder if Memphis hadn't, if Memphis hadn't lost to, to Temple. Temple. Right. But, but think about that. If Memphis hadn't lost to Temple, we would be rioting that they should be in the right, right now. We right. would. And they're sitting at 17 because of a two-point loss on the road to an 8-4 and four AAC team. Right. That's 13 spots down from where we think that they would be had they just won that game by three points. Right. That's insanity. <laughs> and I just freaking hate the playoff. But all right. Now we get a chance to have some fun with this. Um, and it's the end of our year awards. Um, so we're just going to go through each of these awards and we'll, we'll just say real quick things about each of them. We'll try to get through this relatively quickly. Um, but, um, you know, I'll read off the award um, and read off, uh, or if you want to read off the award, we can alternate. Let's alternate. I'll, yeah, yeah. I'll start yeah, it off and I'll read off. Uh, I'll, I'll read off the award and our nominees, and then you can give your pick and I'll give mine. And then we can Sounds flip good. it from there. So, our first end-of-the-year award is the most pleasant surprise for a team. Um, our nominees are Baylor, Minnesota, Oregon State, Kentucky, Indiana, Air Force, Navy, Hawaii, and Illinois. So, Michu is your pick for the most uh, pleasant surprise for a team. I'm going to go with Baylor. Um, I knew coming into the year that Baylor would be better than the six wins that they put up last year. I think you and me talked in the preseason. We said maybe eight to nine wins. They ended up winning 11. Only two losses on the season, both to Oklahoma. Uh, one where they collapsed um, pretty mightily in the second half. And one where, you know, they probably would have won the Big 12 championship if Charlie Brewer didn't get knocked unconscious in the first <laughs> quarter of the game. Yeah. Um, but just the job that Matt Rule has done there is incredible. And it's part of the reason that you're hearing him now getting rumored for NFL jobs yet again this, this offseason. So right. it'll be interesting to see what moves forward with Baylor uh, next year. But they should have a lot of that talent on defense back and Charlie Brewer's back. They lose Denzel Mims, but they still have Tyquan Thornton. It, right. It's going to be an interesting team next year. But, I mean, definitely – if you had told me Baylor was going to lose twice and it was to Oklahoma once in the regular season and then again in the yeah. Big 12 championship, I would have been like, wow, that's a great season. That's a surprise. Absolutely. I'm really happy to see it. And, you know, they've kind of been one of my favorite teams to watch all year. Yeah, you've been on them pretty much since the beginning. Um, mine is Navy, mostly because we were just loud wrong. And it's always fun when Navy is good. Like, it's always nice. It is always Right? Fun. When you yeah. say, like, pleasant, there's nothing more pleasant than Navy being good. Yeah. Um, it just makes you happy. And so I really enjoyed watching Navy play this year, regardless of what happy happens in the army Navy game, regardless of what happens in their bowl game, I mean, 10 regular season wins or nine regular season wins or whatever they've got at this point, um, nearly a conference championship appearance. I didn't think we'd see that from Navy like ever again. 
in the AAC. So really nice. Right. Uh, really, we really said nice. two wins. Yeah, we <laughs> literally said they were going to win two games. Like we didn't yeah. see a chance for them to win. So the fact that they came out here and did the opposite and only had two losses is is amazing. And I'm which brings happy us for those guys. Which brings us yeah. to our most pleasant surprise award uh, for a player. Uh, our first nominee is actually Malcolm Perry, who you right. can credit with Navy's turnaround, uh, yep. you know, at quarterback. Then we have Kyle Trask at Florida, Chuba Hubbard of Oklahoma State, Joe Burrow of LSU, and Shane Bouchelle of SMU. Uh, Jeremy, who'd you pick here? So it would have been easy for me to say Shane Bouchelle, but I knew Shane Bouchelle was going to be good. Like, we had the right. conversation. You know, I, I, it was a nice surprise that he was as good as we thought he might be. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm happy that, that he had that year. I'm actually going with Kyle Trask here. Um, and mostly because I'm not even sure he's going to be their quarterback next year. Um, you know, like Trask only ends up the quarterback at Florida because of the injury to Felipe Franks. And he's transferring, honest, by the way. Who's now transferring. Uh, his name is in the portal. Uh, and I think that it was pretty cool to see Kyle Trask thrive the way that he did. Um, you know, he wasn't like spectacular. But when they needed him to make plays, he did. He's exactly what they needed, 100%. Right. Yeah, and he just he did a really solid job under Dan Mullen's offense. And, you know, you're happy for a guy like that who also barely played as, in high school because he was sitting behind... Um, De'Ara uh, King. Yeah, De'Ara King. And so it's pretty cool. He, uh, those stories are always fun. And so happy for Kyle Trask. He was a nice, pleasant surprise this season. We'll see if he's even their starter moving forward. You don't know how Emory Jones improves in the offseason, if they get any recruits or transfers. But happy for Kyle Trask to have the year that he did at Florida. I really like Kyle Trask. I mean, he his arm is weak, uh, right. but he's like we said, exactly what Florida needed. Very steady, uh, made the big plays when they needed him to. And you know, we were just saying Florida is arguably one of the top four teams in the country, and right. he's a big reason in that. So absolutely, I definitely would not have imagined saying that uh, when Felipe Franks got hurt. No. Who's yours? Um, mine is Joe Burrow, uh, oh, yeah. probably going to win the Heisman Trophy. The reason that the Joe Burrow thing has been so fun for me is because I love Joe Burrow's attitude and how he approaches the game of football. Absolutely. You can tell that he loves it as a game, right? And he's just an, an incredible shit talker. <laughs> you know what he kind of reminds me of, Jeremy? He kind of reminds me of, like, Brett Favre. Ooh. I love that. But like less gunslingery, but like his attitude and his approach yeah. to how he plays, right? Does that does that not give you a little bit of Philip Rivers? I know you're not like a huge Philip Rivers guy. No, because Philip Rivers is just a dick. <laughs> Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow like is one of those guys that you don't want to talk shit to because then he turns his game up a notch, right? Right. It's like when uh, back in the like the heat days, like people would say like, "Oh, we're not worried about LeBron." And, and he would he go would uh, he would go out and put up like 30 12 and 12 on you know 80 percent shooting <laughs> and is and that's basically what joe burrow did all season long yeah with um, an 80 percent completion percentage exactly so i got joe burrow as my most pleasant surprise uh let's get into a little uh sadness here though all right here is the who saw that one coming award play no, 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 you skipped uh, oh one. no 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 i skipped one i'm so sorry yeah no this is sadness uh biggest disappointment for a team team because we didn't want to do player because you know, these are kids. Yeah. Although I will say the, the opposite of that. I also could have put Brady White on, on that most pleasant surprise. Except yeah, it, that's true. But it, it was, was not pleasant for you. It wasn't pleasant for me. It made me yeah. look really dumb. Uh, most Biggest disappointment for a team. Our nominations. Washington. UCF. Nebraska. 
Miami, Texas, Maryland, and Syracuse. Mitch, why don't you go ahead? Um, so every team on this list, uh, every nominee is deserving of this award. Every single nominee is deserving, truly. But I'm going to go to Nebraska. Um, just because I know the pain that they put my good buddy Jeremy Tache through all season. God. Um, Jeremy predicted them to win 10 games. I did. He predicted Adrian Martinez to be a top three Heisman candidate. I did. And uh, neither of those things came close to happening. They didn't even make God, a bowl game. I was wrong on that. Good. Scott Frost God. got the ESPN puff piece a couple weeks ago and then a contract extension in good faith to show that, you know, we still believe in him, which yeah. to me is a kiss of death um, <laughs> at some point next year. Uh, yeah, just, just an awful, like, Nebraska hasn't improved on either side of the ball since Scott Frost took over. Um, they're still extremely, like, inconsistent on offense. Um, mm. Yeah, I just I don't think they're very good, and so that's disappointing. Yeah, it is disappointing. So, so this would have been – there's a few nominations that I really considered. I considered Texas because I really thought Sam Ellinger was just going to dominate this season, um, and that if Oklahoma was just okay, then maybe they could win the Big 12. Um, obviously, Miami was just a colossal disappointment. The new Miami that was, was tackling – doing a WWE style practice, tackling dummies that said seven and six. And now their best case scenario after the bowl game is seven and six is just, it's chef's kiss, but I'm going UCF uh, for the same reason that you just did Nebraska. <laughs> uh, and just, they put me through a lot of pain this year. Um, I know they were seven points away from an undefeated season. Uh, that's what makes them such a disappointment. Uh, because this team was talented enough to go undefeated yet again. And if the coaching staff had just made like three decisions correctly. Yeah, uh, if Randy Shannon was a head coach, this team is undefeated. Which is an insane thing to say. Uh, <laughs> but if the play calling was just ever Speaking so slightly Speaking of Miami. Right. If, 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 <laughs> God, if, the, uh, if the play calling was ever so slightly different, if the, if the uh, decision-making at who was playing quarterback at specific times was ever so slightly different, I'm a huge Dylan Gabriel fan. That's not to say that I didn't want Dylan Gabriel, but Daryl Mack could have helped this team. Um, for that matter, Brandon Wimbush could have probably helped this team in certain moments, um, just being used in a creative way. There was nothing creative about this team this year. That was the thing that made them undefeated the last two seasons. And all we realized was that the reason they were creative last year was just simply Mackenzie Milton's improvisation, uh, not really because of anything else. And I think what it is is we, the reason they've become this disappointing team is maybe on false pretenses because I don't think any of us really thought that if Dylan Gabriel was going to end up being the starting quarterback, that a true freshman was the starting quarterback, that this team was going to go undefeated. But the false pretenses are they beat the shit out of Stanford, who turned out not to be very good. But when they did that, I think it got all of our hopes up that, oh, my God, this is the year. And all right. of college football turned around and said, yeah, UCF. And they immediately embarrassed themselves, taking a 31-21 lead against Pitt and then blowing it um, after coming down. And so, yeah, they're my most disappointing team this season. Fight me on it. Uh <laughs> Here's uh, 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 back bouncing back to some happiness, Jeremy. The who saw yeah. that one coming of the year, which is the player who burst onto the scene out of nowhere, as the name suggests. Yes. Uh, our nominees are Dylan Gabriel of UCF, right. Kenneth Gainwell of uh, Memphis, Jamie Newman at Wake Forest, Tanner Morgan at Minnesota, Kadon Slovis of USC, and Sam Howell at UNC. 
You, uh, you want me to go first? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. All right. So I really, I, I almost did Kenneth Gainwell here because I mean, I think we all thought Patrick Taylor was going to be the guy at Memphis, and then Kenneth Gainwell, who still cool. had a great season by he the way, Patrick really Taylor still had a really good year. The only reason he got taken over was because he got hurt early, and then they were like, right. "Wait, this Gainwell kid's incredible." Um, <laughs> but I'm I'm going with Dylan Gabriel, uh, dude. I've I'm a UCF guy. Like, let's let's not let's not have any mixed sort of thoughts here. Um, and I think the biggest reason is I never thought he was going to play quarterback. So, like, I could have said Sam Howell, who had statistically just an outlandish season as a, as a true freshman that nobody could have seen coming in North Carolina. But Dylan Gabriel to have the year that he had, considering he really was supposed to be the third string quarterback going into the season. Like we thought it was a Daryl Mack, Brandon Wimbush competition. Um, and then he kept hearing in the spring, this Dylan Gabriel kid, this Dylan Gabriel kid, this Dylan Gabriel kid. And when Daryl Mack got hurt, Brandon Wimbush ends up being your starter for a game. And then as soon as that was done, that game is over. It's yeah, no. D- Dylan Gabriel's the guy, and he came out right. here in a phenomenal season. Struggled a little bit on the road, but the kid didn't lose a home game. Uh, threw the deep ball on a level that I never expected from a true freshman, um, and really was just he was great. And I'm I'm really excited for the future of the program because he's still going to be around, regardless of how I feel about some of the coaching. Having that kid behind center, um, and you know we'll see what happens with Mackenzie Milton, but knowing that that. Dylan Gabriel is going to be around for a few years. It has to make you feel good. Yeah. Um, great choice. I do want to say this about Gainwell. Uh, you know what annoys me about the Gainwell thing? What's that? Is that Memphis used Gainwell this year exactly how UCF should have been using Otis Anderson his entire his career. His entire career, and they never yeah. did. Yep. Because they're the same player. Yeah. They're the same player. And I could make the argument that Otis is even better. Otis yeah, is phenomenal. I would too. Yeah. And um, he just didn't get used that way. No, because Josh Heupel's an idiot. Anyways, <laughs> my choice is Kadon Slovis. Um, yeah. Th- he's entered the year as, you know, he was a three-star true freshman recruit. Yeah, Walk, same uh, as Billy Gabriel. His only, his only offer was actually USC because he was playing high school football in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and he's got dude, a five-star coming this. back. Yeah, go ahead. Wait, if Dylan Gabriel chooses USC over UCF, Kadon Slovis never ends up there. Right. Like that was one of the, it was between UCF, Georgia and USC and he chose UCF and that's when Slovis got the offer. Right. That's what's exactly. Um, Slovis. So then he's behind uh, a five-star who's coming back for his second year after, you know, what was a rough season mm-hmm. and JT Daniels looked great in the first half of that game uh, of the, of the opening season. But since he went down, Kadon Slovis has pretty much in my mind, secured the starting job for next season yeah uh jack sears is transferring to san diego state that just leaves jt daniels coming off acl surgery crazy and kadon slovis who's i think had three straight games of over 500 yards passing and three touchdowns to close the season animal um they're gonna have another uh, the receiving core is going to be ridiculous again next year even if michael Pittman leaves um so yeah i mean kadon slovis like i mean had you even heard of Kadon Slovis coming into the season? No, not a clue. And he's the no starting he quarterback now at USC, uh, a team that looks like they could win the Pac-12 next year, in all, in all honesty. So, yep, great to see that. Game of the year, Jeremy. We, we actually had the same pick on this one. So our nominees uh, were LSU versus Bama, Troy versus Southern Miss, Oregon An versus absolute Auburn. absolute barn burner, by the way. 
Oh my God. <laughs> Oregon versus Auburn from, from week one. And then Auburn versus Alabama. Funny that Alabama's a uh, couple of losses are on here. I wonder why we, we think both of Auburn's uh, big games are on here as well. Right. Both of their big wins are on here. Um, we have a unanimous LSU versus Bama here though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the game of the, how could you pick anything else? That was everything that the 2011 Alabama versus LSU game was supposed to be, and we got like finally like re- retribution for it. Yeah, for that nine to six game, this was phenomenal. I mean, both Joe Burrow and Tua played stupid, just stupid good football. Like Najee Harrison, Najee Harrison, Clyde Edwards Hilaire did as well. Right, and then the receivers on both teams showed out. Obviously, if we're saying that about Tua and Joe, um, and this was also like, this was like Tua's flu game. Like, Tua right. should not have been playing in this game. He was literally, like, two weeks from ankle surgery. Yeah. And was out here hobbled. You saw him after the game, after they lost, basically limping across the field to give Joe Burrow a handshake. Like, dude balled out, hurt, and then got more hurt a couple of weeks later. Um, And just to see him play that way, this was Burrow's, like, official... Like, this is when he was like, yes, I have arrived. Hello. Yeah. Uh, and it was just, it was a special game. And I just don't see how you could look at this season in terms of regular season games and think of any other game as one that defined the season better. Right. I think when we look back at this season, it, like, obviously the national championship could probably change this. But as it sits right now, this is the most memorable memorable game of the season, right? Yeah, it has to be. It has to be yeah. because it also, like, it it didn't end the Bama dynasty by any means, but it it did sort of end what, you know, Bama still had their backdoor shot, but it ended, essentially, the discussion between LSU and Bama and who was going to get in. It was like, now, oh, okay, LSU now controls their destiny. That's not normally the case. It's normally Bama. Right. And so that always that's always going to flip a season on its head in regards to, like, what we're looking at for the rest of the year. So that was pretty cool. Um, the most underrated, oh no, th- you're reading this one, right? No, I just read the last one. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> did you? Yeah, I did. No, I read it. Yeah, I did. No, I did. Okay. The most underrated story. <laughs> our nominees, Lynn Bowden Jr. Playing quarterback at Kentucky. Mike Gundy says the Oklahoma offense is single wing slash triple option. Savage. Mark D'Antonio shuffling his offensive staff around and uh you know not seeing any changes whatsoever oregon state building and bubbling and air force being 10 and 2 like we didn't talk about that at all yeah i know and yeah we're not talking about it here either because uh, my (laughs) (laughs) my pick is mark d'antonio uh michigan state should just do the right thing and fire him they really should Uh, you can't you can't have a coach at his age just be that resistant to change. Like yeah. it was obvious last year that the offense was a problem, mm-hmm. kind of like Georgia, like and on a micro scale, where this is a team with a great defense every year, and the offense just can't get it figured out because there's no imagination, mm-hmm. there's no innovation. It's the same shit every single season. Yes, it is. And instead of actually going out and making a change, he just shuffled his staff around, changed everybody's jobs. It's insanity. It's literally, that's, you know, the classic right, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results, which is right. a stupid phrase, but that actually fits <laughs> perfectly here. Uh, and not enough people are talking about it. Mark D'Antonio is getting grandfathered in as, oh, he's a great coach. 
you know, what he did in the Kirk Cousins, uh, Connor Cook years. I argue that that was because the rest of the Big Ten was down at that time. Wait, Michigan and, was bad. And Ohio did they even State really achieve that much? Like, let's not. Uh, oh. I mean, they made the playoff and then got promptly shit stomped by Alabama. Yes, they did. So you know, count that for whatever you want. But yeah, no, Mark D'Antonio is my choice here. What about you? Uh, my uh, most underrated storyline is Lynn Bowden Jr. playing quarterback, mostly because I didn't even know about it until last week. I didn't even know this was happening <laughs> until last week. And it, it promptly away. blew your mind. It, I, was, I, I couldn't even move on from the rest of the show. Lynn Bowden Jr., for those of you who don't know, if you didn't listen to last week's episode, Lynn Bowden Jr. is a wide receiver who has been playing quarterback all year for Kentucky since their quarterback got hurt. and is absolutely dominating having games where you know he's throwing for like 150 yards and a couple of touchdowns on like six throws and rushing for 250 yards and four <laughs> touchdowns like he's been an absolute animal tearing up the SEC playing quarterback it's insane and i had no idea it was even happening which is why it has to be the most underrated storyline of the season that if i even you're watching a ton of college football a ton of college football and I didn't even know it was happening. Clearly, it's even, this is the most it's even dumber because we both thought Kentucky wasn't going to be that good this year, and they still made a bowl game despite playing a wide receiver at quarterback all season. Yeah, I, it, it, I don't even know what to say. I don't even know what to say. It's all right. incredible. Here's one that if you listen to the show a lot, you'll know was coming. It's our side chick team of the year. Oh, yeah. Uh, nominees, SMU, Tulane, Wake, Hawaii, Iowa State, USC, Oregon State, and UNC. Jeremy, who was your selection? All right, so just let me just say a couple of things first. UNC is always my side chick team, as they were my main chick through all of high school. Uh, <laughs> we just got a little fling still going. Um, <laughs> and USC, because of Graham Harrell, I was always rooting for. But my, And Tulane uh, is the official team of right. this podcast. Tulane is the official, official side chick team of the podcast. Right. My choice is obviously SMU. I went into the season hoping for success for them, hoping Shane Bouchelle would fall out. Predicting You predicted 10 wins for them. I predicted 10 wins for SMU. And, and they I, got there. And I was right. And that <laughs> makes me feel good because I was not right about a lot on this podcast. I was right <laughs> about only so many things. And this is one of the things I was right about. And it was just a joy to watch them play. Even when they lost to Memphis, it was an incredible back and forth football game. Like they lose the way you want teams to lose. Like they're just the best. I love SMU. They were so much fun to be my side chick team this season. Right. I picked wake. Uh, if oh, you listen yeah. to this podcast, you know how I feel about wake. <laughs> don't really got, don't really need to spend too much time on it. Jamie Newman, one of my favorite quarterbacks to watch in the country. I can't wait for their bowl game. David Clawson, uh, interested to see how long he stays at Wake and and if he does leave, where he moves on to because I think that'll be a very, very, uh, what's it called, great move for whatever program ends up hiring him. I very much agree with you. Um, All right. I think you're reading this one. Yeah, moving on. This is the one thing I was most wrong about preseason. God, there are so many things. We've already said so many things I was wrong about. Our nominee ideas. Navy. Tennessee at first, Houston, Kansas State, Stanford, Washington, Kentucky, Memphis, and Texas. And what is it? I'm going to scroll back up real quick and figure out what it was that I was wrong. Um, I was wrong about. Oh, Nebraska is what we should have had on here. 
Yeah, I was just, I was, I can't even have it on the list because I was so wrong. Like that doesn't, right. even, we're not even going to put it on the list because I was so loud wrong about Nebraska and Adrian Martinez that I just have to like keep it off of the list because it's the only answer. So we have other answers. Let's hear what yours was first. Uh, mine has got to be, I mean, for the podcast, I think we're definitely agreed. We've said this multiple weeks in a row now. Navy was what was the thing that we were most wrong about. For sure. Um, and then I'm going to kind of take somewhat of a victory lap here. Oh, cool. uh, because at first I was very wrong about Tennessee. I predicted Tennessee to win eight games. Yeah, you did. They started off. What was it? One and three. And it looked very bad. They very two bleak. And five. Two and five. That's it. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I looked, I looked like an idiot, which, you know, if you were, we don't really work in the business of putting out takes, but right. we do it for fun. And, yeah. uh, when you do that, you're going to get a lot of things wrong. And I, I look to be very, very wrong about Tennessee. And, you know, luckily they turned it around, but they I'm still going to take my lumps. Low, man. Yeah, I, I'm still going to, you know, I was wrong. I, I expected it to look better a lot earlier on. And, uh, yeah, I'd say that. And then probably Washington. I thought Washington could have probably won the Pac-12 at the beginning of the season. I'm pretty sure you predicted Washington to the playoff. I did. Yeah. Uh, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. I, I think it might have happened. Uh, Jesus. Whatever. I'm not gonna. I'm not trying to call you out because mine is mine is a a sort of combo. Um, it's a it's Memphis and Houston. Um, because I predicted Houston to win the AAC. It's the West, the AAC yeah. West, and that Memphis was just absolutely going to fall off. Um, I was convinced that Derek King was gonna be nearly a Heisman candidate. Um, now ultimately he got hurt. And so that, you know, right? No, no, never mind. Sorry. No, he, he redshirted to sit out because they yeah. were one and three. They were one and three. Houston was such, I was so wrong about Houston that their entire team, entire team decided, nah, not this year. We'll just, we'll hang out. We'll they're, their best player on offense and their second leading receiver. Yeah. Just, we're like, ah, nah, we're good. It's, it's that bad. We'll just to the point where other players were accusing the coach of tanking the season, by the way. Yeah. It went that poorly. Houston maybe had the worst season in a, in a way of any team in college football. Uh, and then Memphis, who I said, they lost all these offensive linemen. There's no way that their running backs produce at the same level. Enter Kenneth Gainwell and Patrick Taylor, just shredding apart this conference all year long. Mike Norvell proving me wrong in every which way. Them winning the AAC West, Houston looking like an utter disaster, and me feeling like an idiot about the conference that I watch the most. Like, that's the part that hurts so badly. We were that wrong about Navy, and I was that I mean, the whole AAC West, clearly, I was just, I must just only watch the AAC East where UCF is. <laughs> it is, is that I'm not watching enough of the West because, good God, I was wrong about that, that side of the conference. All right, let's turn it around. Things we were most correct about in the preseason, the victory Ooh. lap award. Nominees, Wake, Miami, Virginia, Ohio State, Michigan, and Notre Dame. Uh, we, can, we can wrap this one up pretty quick because yeah. we, were, we both thought the same things about both of these two teams. Yep. And it turns out Michigan and Notre Dame are the same teams <laughs> every single fucking year. And yep. they were again in 2019. Yep, yep. I had Notre Dame on this list. You had Michigan. Um, and, I, and I think collectively also we can then turn around and say one of the things we were most right about collectively as a podcast was Ohio State being great all season long. Yeah, all season long. Um, the one other thing I want to point out is that we both predicted UVA to win the Coastal and Miami to not be that great. 
Um, and I said that the only way that Miami was going to be great was if Tate Martell surprised all of us and was great. And so I'll, I'll take my lumps on. He never even the got Tate Martell thing. Yeah. Well, I didn't even necessarily say I thought Tate Martell was going to be great. It was just the only way Miami was going to be good is if he came in and showed out. And then clearly he didn't, which is why Miami wasn't good because they just couldn't get as good as Jaron Williams was in moments. For whatever reason, Manny Diaz totally botched the, the handling of Jaron Williams and Nkosi Perry at the quarterback position, and they were an utter disaster. So I will say we were, we were pretty right about the UVA Miami thing there as well. Right. All right. Most promising first year coaching job. Our nominees, Eli Drinkowitz, Chris Kleiman, Scott Satterfield. Oh, let me point out Eli Drinkowitz at App State. Chris Kleiman at Kansas State, Scott Satterfield at Louisville, Mac Brown at UNC. Who is your pick? Uh, I picked Chris Kleiman just because at the beginning of the year, we talked about how poorly that could go really quickly if they started losing games. Mm-hmm. And they finished 8-4 and four and are in the rankings. I believe they're in our rankings at 24, and they're in the college football playoff rankings still, I believe. Yep. Um, if you had told me that they were going to be ranked at the end of the season, I would have thought that you were crazy. Um, I think they were probably a bowl team coming in anyway, but to win eight games and to look as good as they did throughout the year, uh, I would pick them close second for me is Scott Satterfield at Louisville. I think they're really going to be good next year. Yeah. And Satterfield is actually my second choice as well in this one. Um, I think he had a phenomenal season. My choice is Mac Brown actually. Um, mostly because I, I, I want to say I think we both sort of did the same thing to him that we did to Herm Edwards and were wrong. I definitely did. I definitely yeah. did. And, and thought that Mac Brown, you know, old man, wasn't going to work. Uh, but, you know, they're a bold team. Um, and really what that, if we're going to be totally real, I don't know what type of job he really did, but he nailed his big recruit and getting Sam Howell. And when you're a new coach, not, not, not a new, he's not a new coach, but when you're a new coach at a university, um, you know, starting things back up, if you can nail the quarterback position, it can set you up for the long run. Um, because if you nail it once, then other quarterbacks are going to want to come in and play for you. And that's all the college football is right now. If we're going to be totally honest is, is your quarterback play. And they have a great one for at least two more seasons. So UNC is only going to compete at a higher level over the next couple of years. Um, in the ACC, and that's that's pretty exciting for Mac Brown and company. All right, most college football thing of the year, which These if you awesome. knew us when we were doing the video show, it was a weekly segment. Uh, nominees: USC guys missing a letter. They spelled out Trojans without the. Uh, I believe it was the N. Um, <laughs> the so Elijah Moore Ole Miss P in the end zone during the Egg Bowl which then pushed the field goal back to tie the game, and uh, the kicker missed the PAT. Uh, Kansas winning a game on a field goal, but getting called for 12 men on the field field goal and then having it pushed back and then missing the the attempt the second time. Uh, Northwestern not cutting the grass the week before their game against Ohio State to try and slow Ohio State down, only to get blown out by 50 points. Yep. And then Auburn, uh, the two old women trying to rush the field and getting stuck in the hedges. Uh, yeah, between the old women, that's harsh, man. Old, I mean, they were they were older just, women. They were moms. Were they moms? Shout out to the moms. They were old, dude. Or maybe I was wrong. At least late forties, early fifties for sure. Really, I thought they were in their thirties. Maybe I'm just bad at judging age. Uh, maybe I'm bad. Mom, my mom last night said uh, men are just 
traditionally bad at judging ages. Yeah, that's something that we've come to figure out as a society, I think. Um, moving on, uh, my pick is, <laughs> is um, I'm, I, it has to be Ole Miss. It has to 100%. There's not a, there's a wide receiver. Let's just talk about this. In a rivalry game. In, in, in their huge rivalry game in which they needed the The win. only college football game being played that day. They needed the win to become bowl eligible and possibly save their head coach's job. A wide receiver catches a touchdown to bring the team within one that should easily tie the game in the final seconds. And he decides to crawl to the back of the end zone and pee at the student section like he's a like dog. Like a dog, yeah. Like he's a dog. And then the extra point, because obviously, and, and the bus, you pointed this out when it happened. You could see the old Miss kicker going like, oh, no, because he knew. Yeah, he knew he was yards, going to miss it. I think that's what really sets this that's moment over the top. That's what puts it over the top is like yeah. he knew I've got no shot now. I just yeah. don't have – I'm not going to do <laughs> it. It, it was literally one of those – it was literally one of those, welp. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just – it's just – it's like the – it's maybe the most comfortable thing I've ever seen in my life. It was remarkable, and it was perfect. To, it was a perfect way to wrap up the season. Uh, just to make sure we didn't have the same – I picked the Kansas thing. Uh, mostly because it was a perfect epitome of Les Miles not being very good at late game management, which yeah, is, classic. you know, college football is fucked. And then yep. you had the college kickers angle where he nails the first one, but it doesn't matter anyway. Yep. And then he misses the one that counts. So yep. that's very college football. And I'm glad that that moment happened as well. That's perfect. Uh, am I, I'm reading now, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, single game grown man performance of the year. Um, All right. I cheated on this one. Because I did a two-game stretch by Chase Young. That's totally fair. That's totally fair, and it's funny because you're, the two-game stretch that you put is the first thing that I was going to look for, and I couldn't decide between the two, so I went with the other one, this other choice that I have. So you All right, go ahead, so go the Chase Young back-to-back performances against Wisconsin and Penn State crazy might go down as, like, two of the best defensive games we've seen from a defensive end like in, ever. like, the last, like, 20 years at least. Yeah. Um, to go... Against Wisconsin, nine tackles, four for loss, and oh, I'm sorry, no, that's wrong. Six tackles, five tackles for loss, and four sacks against Crazy. Wisconsin. Crazy. The next week against Penn State, he follows it up with nine tackles, four of them for loss, and three sacks. And I think in the in between those two games, he had seven additional quarterback hurries. So silly, man. He's unbelievable. And he yeah. had yeah, that stretch was what put him in the, the Heisman Trophy conversation. Right. Uh, and speaking of, uh, my grown man single game performance of the year was Jonathan Taylor against Michigan. Um, and the reason I say this is it's not just that he had 23 carries for 203 yards and two touchdowns. It's what he did in the first two, th- three possessions of the game. In the first three possessions of the game, he had 142 rushing yards and two touchdowns in the first quarter. In the first right. three possessions of the game, he single-handedly took Michigan out of it. And yeah, 100%. Season alive. Like, that was it. That was the moment that turned Wisconsin season back around. Back, and now they're in the Rose Bowl. Downward, and now they're going to a Rose Bowl. Um, and so all of that is also to say, it is an absolute joke. 
that Jonathan Taylor isn't at the Heisman ceremony tonight. I, I saw there's four finalists. It's there's Burrow. Four finalists. It's Burrow, Hertz, Young, Fields. Yeah, no, I would have him there over Hertz for sure. I would have him there over anybody besides Joe Burrow. And here's what here's a stat that I can give you. Someone put it this out here. It's just uh Dustin Shrew, uh Dustin Shoot. Yeah, sure. Let's say that. Alabama running back Derrick Henry won the Heisman in 2015 on 1,986 yeah. rush yards on 339 carries, 5.86 yards per carry, 91 receiving yards, 11 catches, and 23 total touchdowns, which is a stupid season. Yeah. But Jonathan Taylor this year had 1,909 rushing yards, so that's 77 less, on 299 carries, which means he had 30, 40 less carries. That's right. 6.27 yards per carry. He also had 209 receiving yards on 24 receptions and 26 total touchdowns. And he didn't even get a top five invite to the Heisman. He wasn't even top five in Heisman voting. That's insane. That's yeah. crazy. Especially Wait, who finished fifth? Did it, who was well, the he'll fifth? Be, sorry, he'll be fifth, I guess, theoretically. But like the fact that he doesn't get a top four like to get there is crazy to me. Well, I will say this in Derrick Henry's defense, that year was really bad. Like there was no like Joe Burrow, yeah, Justin funny. Fields situation. He, I'm pretty sure he he won it over Christian McCaffrey that year. And that was Yeah, which was, was ridiculous I when was it happened. Going crazy over like what are we doing here? Christian McCaffrey had put up a season that was outrageous. But nonetheless, um I just wanted to I, I wanted to say because Jonathan Taylor had multiple games that we could have put here for the right. same performer. Um, and we didn't talk about him enough throughout the year, and I think he should have been a Heisman candidate, and it's unfortunate that he's not getting the recognition that he deserves. Um, so moving on to our onion hanger upset of the year. Um, as you guys know, we picked onion hangers. Um, you know, that was essentially just when we sort of uh, really put ourselves out there for upsets <laughs> that, that were never supposed to happen. Um, but just things that we thought maybe could happen. Um, and so we sort of picked our favorite, um, uh, not necessarily ones that, that we picked, but just our favorite upsets of the season. So, Meech, uh, what is your nominee? Uh, I picked South Carolina beating Georgia. Um, the, the three picks uh, from the one player was incredible. Yep. Uh, the Ryan Holinsky subplot was awesome. Uh, and you know, I've been a Georgia hater all year, so I might as well lean into it. Yeah. Might as also, well. I picked one of these correctly during the year and I can't remember which one it was. Do you remember? Either. No, I have no idea. Was it Kansas state, Oklahoma? Did Kansas state beat Oklahoma? Yeah. Can yes. That's what it was. Kansas I think state that's the one Oklahoma. I picked. That's the yeah. one you picked. You're right. That's exactly what it was. Um, which was a heck of a pick. Um, mine was, I absolutely loved lovey Smith's beard in Illinois upsetting Wisconsin. Um, it was awesome in the moment. I didn't pick it. Um, I wish I would have. Um, I remember that week sitting and looking at like the, the upcoming schedule and, and going, hmm, which game should I pick? And I think that week I picked like Vanderbilt over Florida because I was yeah, just bad like, choice. Just being a Florida hater. Um, yeah. And Illinois over Wisconsin was just so fun. The way it ended on the game winning field goal, a kid from down here from South Florida. It was just it was sweet for Lovey Smith's beard to get the national recognition it did. I also I chose UNC over Clemson. And so they went, close. They went for two to win it, and it would have been like the upset of the century. Uh, yeah. 
and I'm so mad that it didn't happen. I just wanted to point that out. Would have almost certainly knocked Clemson out of the playoffs for what it's worth, too. Well, right, exactly. Like, it would have just changed it. Florida would probably be in the playoff, right? I know Florida right. nine, but, like, if things go different, like... Swing differently. Yeah. They rank teams because of circumstances, too. Well, Let's not kid ourselves. About, well, this is what I was about to point out, and, and we'll do a very, very, very brief on this, but people have talked about that in the eight-team playoff this year, Florida would not have gotten at large bid, which is like asinine. Right. And what I'm telling you right now is that if, if it actually mattered who was ranked seven, eight, nine, because this year it didn't because of what the bowl tie-ins are like Baylor was always going to go to their bowl game. Wisconsin was always going to go to the Rose bowl. Right. Those don't matter. was always going to go to the orange bowl. It didn't matter what the rankings were. If they mattered, Florida would have been seven. Like, if right. they mattered, Florida would have gotten that at-large bid. So for the folks that are, like, freaking out over that's, those at-large bids were, would – It's almost a shame to me that Florida lost to Georgia because I would have actually much rather seen Florida play LSU in the, in yeah, the play them SEC again. championship. Absolutely. Yeah. Right, and it would have been cool, honestly, if, if Florida did win that game and then both teams, you know, got their chance to go to the playoff. But I would rather see Florida than Oklahoma, like I've said already. Yeah. I'd rather see Florida or Oregon in that yeah. spot. Unfortunately, that's where we're at. But nonetheless – our final award, um, and these names are not going to surprise you, um, it is our Grown Man of the Year Award. Um, so our nominees for this award, Chuba Hubbard, Anthony Gordon, Chase Young, J.K. Dobbins, Jonathan Taylor. Meech? All right, well, if you've listened to this podcast at all, you know who I'm selecting. You yeah. just did a great job running down all of the Jonathan Taylor stats. Uh, I'm picking Chuba Hubbard. Listen to, listen to this man's stats this year. Hell yeah. 309 carries for 1,936 yards. So stupid. And 21 touchdowns. He played in one, two, three, four, five, six games this season where he ran for over 150 yards. Unbelievable. He had one, two, three, four games where he was over 220 yards. He didn't have a single game this season uh, other than a, a win against Missouri State or something like that where he only carried the ball eight times. They were resting him. That's the only game he finished with below 100 rushing yards on the season. He also chipped in 183 yards through the air. Uh, yeah, Chuba Hubbard, absolute grown man. He's an absolute star, man. I love him so much. Um, and if you guys have listened to this podcast. He's Canadian, by the way. Chuba Hubbard. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. No, I mean, just imagine finding a running back from Canada. <laughs> yeah, just imagine doing that in general. Uh, my pick is the ever so obvious Anthony Gordon. Uh, you knew I was going to pick him. I mean, come on. Anthony Gordon of Washington State. Some of these stats are really silly. He had – let me let me point this out. Um, all right, let's do this. One, two – three, four, five, six games where he threw at least 55 passes. Think about Jesus that. Jesus Christ. Jesus six Christ. games. Actually, the, the least in that was 58. And there's one, two, three, four games where he threw 48 to 50. Um, that includes one performance where he was 50 of 70 for 606 yards. Another game where he was 44 of 60 for 520 yards. Another game where he was 41 of 61 for 570 yards, nine touchdowns in a loss. 
to use. Yeah, we still want that. That should have been in our list of nominees for game of the year. By that the was way. the cool. Yeah, you're right. It should have been. That was insanity. He threw nine touchdowns and lost a football game. Anthony Gordon is my hero. He wears a backwards hat in his headshot on ESPN. He's the goat. He's going to be an NFL superstar, and I can't wait for that day. He and, he and Gardner Minshew both out of Washington State, just running up the score against people. Um, I hope I hope I hope Anthony Gordon like I hope that Tennessee extends Ryan Tannehill and then drafts Anthony Gordon late, and then Tannehill sucks or gets hurt the way that Nick Foles did. And then you get Gardner Minshew against Anthony Gordon twice a year forever. That's that's my that's my dream world. That's what I that'd want. be great. That's that'd what I be want. Great. Um, but yeah, so that's that. Um, remember, uh, we're finally done here. Goodness. Uh, remember to sign up for uh, our bowl mania. As we told you, go follow us at We Prefer Walk-Ons or check out Preferred Walk-Ons on Facebook, and all the information will be there. We'll tweet out the link. Um, but yeah, that's it for that. And we'll have another episode for you guys next week previewing some of these bowl games.